Welcome to Same Old City, an independent York City fans podcast. My name's Simon Kraft, and who is with me? Uh, it's me, Ben Aspinall. Hello everybody, it's Ben Aspinall here with a very quick update um, following a rather frantic um, day of transfer activity at the club. Um, in the background you can see, uh, hear a nice chap doing some uh, reggae covers um, and in a pub in Kent. Uh, on my jollies uh, before the trip to Dorking on Saturday and um, after Simon and I finished recording the podcast at home yesterday we've uh, kind of had the apple cart uh, shunted and three new players have arrived to make our recording out of date in a matter of hours that's absolutely fine so here's just a very quick um, you know first impression of uh, the transfer activity that we've done today first up we had uh, Dan Batty uh, what looks like a combative um, league, EFL, you know, standard midfielder, something that I think we've all been crying out for, especially after um, the Pi bus um, left the station. Um, we were linked with him in the summer, I seem to recall reading on social media. So for him to finally arrive, it is fantastic. The only the caveat is, uh, from what a lot of people say, he has slight injury problems, but also joining the club so, you know, so late in the summer. There is the issue of fitness. Is he ready to step into the side straight away? We'll have to see. And shortly after that, um, Kai Kennedy uh, was announced. A um, five foot four uh, winger from uh, San Onofre from Rangers. Um, comes with a bit of a uh, bit of pedigree, a bit of potential. He was linked with Bayern Munich and uh, Manchester City, according to the uh, the uh, Red Tops during lockdown during the COVID years. Obviously, he's not quite fulfilled that potential. Otherwise, he would clearly not be signing for a Division 5 football team. But, you know, some players have to go a little bit further down before they can go back up again. Uh, he looks like a very, very exciting prospect. Interesting to see if he's going to be um, one of the developmental players or if he's going to be impacting the first team squad uh, sooner rather than later. And then finally, um, the last signing of the day was, of course, goalkeeper Roy Watson. Um, York lad um, I think he's the most for want of a better phrase mysterious of the three signings obviously he was uh, a backup goalkeeper at Wrexham uh, I believe last season from what I can see and also from what I saw he was the uh, Scunthorpe goalkeeper um, unfortunately this season that they got relegated from the EFL can't Blake put that inside that, at his door but he has a reasonable number of games though you know you'd expect more I think it was something like 80 over the course of five years which isn't perfect but again, we wouldn't be signing players so easily, would we, if they were, uh, you know, quite so, in, you know, more in demand than this. However, you know, I'm willing to give him a chance. It'd be very interesting to see how he slots in, um, especially with uh, Ryan recalled from the Scarborough loan and with uh, Maison Campbell, the uh, English slash French goalkeeper, if you believe what Simon says on the pod, um, having such a reasonable, if not good, performance in a second half at all a shot last Saturday. So, you know, exciting stuff, to be honest with you. Um, I wonder who's going to be stepping into the side immediately, especially at Dorking, where clearly the reinforcements are needed. I would like to see Batty sooner rather than later. Um, maybe not so much Kennedy. And obviously, as I say, the goalkeeper situation is not entirely clear. Anyway, there's plenty of stuff to get stuck into. Um, hopefully you'll be seeing, um, you know, if not, two or three, you know, all these players, but certainly at least one of these players during the next two games away at Dork and at home to Rochdale. Regardless, um, myself and Sal will be about um, next week to have a chat about these two games 
and we look forward to discussing with you all. All right, I'm off back to the pub. So, reacting to the big news uh, this week, which is that Dan Pybus is leaving the club, uh, we've been workshopping a few a few jokes about that. I think we've come up with some good ones. So, Dan Pybus, more like Dan by bus. Yeah, yeah, I like oh. it. Oh, Dan, get on the the bus. Dan didn't get on the team they, they bus. They didn't. No, alleged, allegedly. Although it was a home game, so I don't know if we can use. Don't know if we can use that one. Yeah. Well, he has. He's moved to Dorking Wanderers, um, which I would argue is a sideways move. And we all know he did love a good sideways pass. So that's oh, uh, that. yeah, topical. Yeah, that's that's that is very very good. Yeah, yeah I like it. We'll come back to that. We'll, we'll work on those. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, what we're going to look at today um, is, as well as um, Pybus leaving, Whitley returning, rumours of other players coming in, uh, we're going to look back to the one-all draw at Aldershot at the weekend and look back even further uh, in the retro section to even darker times, uh, which is the final day, two-all draw against Forest Green Rovers in 2017 that sent us down to the depths of National League North. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna look at that. Treat it as a kind of group therapy session to finally recover from that event, um, and then we'll look forward to the bank holiday double header, um, Dorking and Rochdale coming up. Um, so yeah, let's start with Saturday's game, which was Aldershot Town one, York City one. Um, I think you watched this one, didn't you, Ben? That's correct, yeah. I temporarily left the country in order to watch the game on a stream completely legally without the use of any sort of third-party um, software. That, uh, that is commitment I, to the cause, it really is. I, it, I mean, I could have just gone to Aldershot, but, you know, this felt a bit more authentic, to be honest with you. So stuffed the 300 who actually went to the match. And uh, I'm glad I did, to be honest with you. I'm glad I didn't actually go and actually just um, pulled up the, the, uh, the fee to watch it in the comfort of um, someone else's home. Yeah, I've I've just watched the highlights, um, mm-hmm. but I think that's that's given me a decent uh, reflection of how the game went. Um, fair to say, we're probably lucky to escape with a point. Um, but yeah, there weren't quite as as many changes to the team this this week as there have been previously. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, Maz Kuya came in for Siziba um, mm-hmm. in the front three. We stuck with the four three three at least initially. Um, and yes. Fallowfield came back after a suspension in for Latifair with a, uh, with Ando switching to left back. Is that right? Yeah, that's a, a very fair interpretation. I was very, very happy to see Ryan Fallowfield back in the side. Uh, looking at like the, the the squad or the first 11 from last season, that just about kept us up. I think very few of us could have any real complaints about Fallowfield's contribution. Uh, he's a cracking right back. He's a very, very good uh, right wing back. He fits easily into the team. I think when everybody was um, talking about City doing a Chelsea 2003 summer spending spree, uh, it just passed. Um, I don't think anybody was talking about bringing a new, a new, you know, first choice right back. Uh, so I was very, very happy to see Fallowfield back in the side. He's definitely been missed. Yeah, yeah, particularly with you know Duckworth, one of our other options there. Um, mm-hmm. It's been out with injury again. Um, but yeah, the so we stuck with the four three three that we'd played against Altrincham, which um, there were sort of positive moments from that game, even if ultimately mm-hmm. we we maybe should have lost. Um, but really, watching the highlights back <clears throat> uh, of the first half and sort of hearing 
from fans who were watching who went. It mm. sounded like probably our worst 45 minutes of the season so far, would you say? Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think, uh, obviously, watching it, watching the stream, I think it was a very reasonable start. I think the taxes were slightly different in that we were trying to get it up to the top third, final third as, as quick as possible, really. We were quite direct. Um, Maz was receiving the ball on the wing um, in decent decent places. We are trying to get... Um, Try to get Dippo in possession quicker. It's quite a tight turnaround. Now that does kind of contradict the um Tikataka possession football that we kind of saw in preseason, but you know, needs must at this point. Um Maz was quite patient in his play. We know we all know what type of player um Maz Kuyar is. He's not quite the electric pace winger that um that you might argue that Harriet is trying to be, but he does try, you know, take his take his defender out with a, a shimmy and a move to, to try and create some space to get the ball into the box. He tried that a bit, you know, early on in the match, but that was before um, all the shot really started to put their uh, put their you know mark on the game. Um, similar problems uh, in midfield to what was happening against Oldershot, where again Oldershot took on the three five two that um, Altrincham did, and then what happened was um, the midfield um, was being bypassed. Uh, it, it, you can debate the issue with, with its fitness, whether it's against work rate. That's something I'm sure we're going to come on to when we discuss the game as a whole. But it was quite frustrating to see that the uh, the problems that we, we had on Tuesday against Altrincham were affecting us again and in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, just watching the highlights back, it was basically all them for the first, well, for the first half, really. But there were several really decent chances, even in the first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Stockdale pulled off a couple of decent saves. They hit the side. He really netting. did, yeah. There was, I think, there's two that, uh, one or two that were really top level saves, along with um, a, a block on that. I believe it was on the line by Fallerfield. Libert was the end of the first half. I, I can't recall it was after the goal. Sorry, but similar sort of thing as what you're saying. You know, um, concerted pressure on on the York goal. So, um, yeah, and... I think there is. I think there is something to be said though for um, you know. Um, should always try and give praise when it's due. And Morton seeing like the four three three was not working um against Old Shot half for the first half. And he he was brave enough. Um and you know, he was a man enough man enough and professional enough to admit it wasn't working and changed it to the three five two to try and match Older Shot. Yeah, it looked he... like we were being completely overrun, really. And just to, um sort of another point on those few highlights of, of their chances, it was particularly Tyler Cordner who seemed to be getting into trouble quite a lot there, there was one where he got caught out of position and um and they nearly scored out of that there's another one where he uh, Stockdale gave it to him straight from a goal kick um and he gave mm-hmm. possession away quite cheaply which again nearly let them in um, i'd agree i'd agree with that there was the same issue of, of altrincham where um there was a lack of tracking back there was some really poor work rate from the central midfield um i, th- I think dyson did not start well but as I was say, as I'll come on to, I think I think he grew into the game very, very well. Um, Castro had another mixed display, and um, Paddy kind of got done for the goal a bit. So um, can we can we move on move on to Aldershot's um, opener if that's okay? Yeah, I do really I do really want to focus on certain aspects of it, especially uh, the role of Castro and, and McLaughlin. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I've got down. So they opened the scoring. Um, so we'd already switched to three five two. Mm-hmm. At that point, so like you say, Morton had kind of seen we were we were just being overrun. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, um, how would you describe the goal having watched it live? Well, it's frustrating because Castro um, wins the ball very well from a defender on the um, our left hand side, the penalty area, 
and it's kind of a lazy pass to, to Kuya, a very hospital ball, as they call it, because Kuya has no chance of controlling the ball appropriately. He's very quickly dispossessed. Uh, and then, um, but basically, um, both Harry, I believe it's Harriet and Cash, will just let the player run, you know, run on. A quick one-two. It's rather straightforward. Takes Paddy out the game as well. And before you know it, the player's in, and he just coolly slots it through, through Stockdale into the far post. It was kind of a perfect mix of mistakes, um, and then it's like lack of tracking back and a real lack of concerted effort to try and and try and keep the um, the forwards from making that run in and you know a real straightforward uh, straightforward one two um taking out our one defensive midfield it was just a very very frustrating goal especially after the complaints against Ulchigam about the the back you know the back two centre halves not getting the protection from midfield yeah and like you say it is the fact that castro i mean there's there's been a lot of talk about castro um you know maybe mm-hmm. not pressing very much maybe it's like a fitness i think even scott barrow had mentioned because he was on co-commentary on radio york he'd mentioned that you know he was maybe being lazy um <clears throat> but he actually like you say he did well to to win the ball back in in a defensive yes. position but then yeah immediately just played quite a sloppy pass to them and it, and that's what let them in i mean the one two and the finish were taken quite well but like you yes, say they shouldn't fair. they shouldn't have been yeah. in that position yeah. um I mean, um, you, you mentioned Scott Barrow on co-coms there. Um, I was one of those people who watched a stream on mute with um, uh, the blissful sounds of Dave Ward and Scott Barrow um, coming in my ears. But basically, the, it was quite strange from Barrow in that um, I felt he was a reasonable co-commentator. I've heard much better and much worse. Um, but it, you mentioned the Castro criticism. Um and for whatever reason, I don't quite personally recall. And I know it, I know it happened, but I don't. I personally don't recall, you know, paying attention to that. But he was quite damning of, you know, the whole kind of system and the element of if you're not tracking runners, if you're not tracking back, then things like this are going to happen. And he bemoaned at numerous points during the first half about how easy it was for all the shots to tear through York's midfield and, and defence. And obviously, um, Castro is a massive part of that. So I'm aware of people saying on on socials and forums that you know Castro is kind of singled out, and I'm not doubting that. But uh, it's fair to say that Barrow was very, very critical of um, the side as a whole. And saying that it's not reflective of what happens in training is very, very frustrating as a York supporter to hear uh, when you're watching the match and you're getting you know, annoyed at um, the very limp and poor performance in front of you. When you hear somebody you know, from the inner sanctum who's actually there and does training with them say, oh, no, we're not doing this four or five you know, days a week. It's, we're much better than this. Then, you know, go out there and bloody prove it. It was, it was very frustrating. Yeah, it does always feel like that's a bit of a get out clause that, yeah. that management or coaching staff can say, oh, you know, they look great in training and then they just don't turn up. So, well, it's, yeah. it's, it's your job to, to get them to turn up and to prepare them. Other than that, we did have a couple of half chances. Dyson had a decent shot. Oh, he did. Uh, yes, that area, was that was a great on. effort. Yeah, um, decent that, save. Yeah. But then, yeah, that <clears throat> I think you touched on it earlier. There was um, another what I describe as a hospital pass from Ando this time when he's sort of on the halfway oh, yes, line yeah. and it's sort <laughs> of an outside of the foot one to Stockdale. But yeah, really not the kind of pass you want to be playing across the the pitch, which yeah gets cut out by I think it's Barham for all the shot, and he sort of takes it around Stockdale. But then I think it was Paddy who actually um, puts in a block. Stockdale kind of scrambles mm. back. And I don't know if that's when he got injured or if he'd already been down th- a bit I think, before then. I think watching the full, the full match, I think he was complaining before. Um, to, and he was kind of complaining. Uh, Dave Ward's um, stressed that he was 
complaining about the pitch, and it also involved a physio getting in, uh, getting on to look at something, and then that this 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 you know bizarre pass from Ando resulting in a incredible tackle by um, Stockdale that prevents a you know prevents a goal, prevents a penalty, but also injures our first choice goalkeeper in the process. So um, a bizarre few moments of the game, definitely. Yeah, I guess that sort of takes us through nicely to half time. So it was one mm-hmm. nil at half time. Possibly could have been more, two or three. Um, mm-hmm. But it's um, sort of the, the couple of substitutions at half time that I just wanted to look at. So one of them was Stockdale, you know, the enforced substitution. So uh, mm-hmm. Mason Campbell, although I always want to, I always want to say Maison Campbell because um, mm. of the, the strange spelling of that. But I'm assuming it's actually Mason. Um, yes. But he came in and uh, also Castro was taken off, I presume, just because he was so poor in the first half, not because of anything else. Mm. Um, and it was uh, John Lewis who came on for him, which sort of made more sense now that we were three five two to put an actual, yeah, you know, proper second striker on um, <clears throat> up front with Akinyemi. Um, and yeah, the second half, there weren't as many highlights, but it seemed like a lot... Um, a lot more of a balanced game. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think the two sides were balanced on in total um, over the second half. I think York started brightly, um, but then you can have the usual optimist versus pessimist argument of whether York played better or did Aldershot kind of take their foot off the gas. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. I think the changes that you've mentioned allowed York to play um, in a more fluid, positive style. Um there's a chance, isn't there, for uh, John Lewis, who heads just wide. Um, he does well to get a header in, but unfortunately, it's just off target when he probably should have maybe maybe just get that on on target, test the goalkeeper. But it's a great run, um, great work by Ando to, to you know to take I think around one or two players and get that really dangerous cross in. Yeah, there were a couple of other chances for Akinyemi or half chances, I guess, mm. um, as well on the highlights. Um, <clears throat> one in particular was after a really decent ball dinked over the top by Cordner so I guess yes. just to balance out the criticism in the first half he did show some of the quality that he's got um but I, I would agree I would agree with that completely and also last Tuesday against um Altrincham I believe I, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get so done over by this older shot Altrincham thing from two games I've ever answered but anyway uh fix your computer last... really shouldn't allow this should it <laughs> should take into account as poor humble podcasters I, I'm just delighted that uh Mason got Mason got relegated, didn't they? Not Mason. Mason got relegated. I, anyway, yeah, I still have to double check that every time. <laughs> but I, um, but the yeah, the call of the ball was really good, and he he's, he's got that in his locker. I think he had a little bit of that uh, against Altrincham on Tuesday. He's um, got a decent ball over the top, and the, the long diagonal, um, a really good um, characteristic and ability for a, a centre half to have. So whilst I agree that I don't think he had the best ninety minutes, um, he got you know I think the great greatest reception from the home fans. He did have moments where, you know, he did he did quite well on the ball. So, um, you know, fair is fair. And you mentioned Akinyemi there, of course, Big Dippo. He manages to shrug off the defenders and he gets that near, near post shot away. I think the keeper's saving it all day long. But if you don't speculate, it can't accumulate, can you? So, um, very, very good chance. But, yeah, it was still 1-0 heading into uh, stoppage time. And then talk us through sort of how you saw the, the equaliser that comes, I think, sort of quite late into injury time. Yeah, I mean, um, the ball across to Akinyemi, the control that he, he 
you know he shows um just reinforces that technique and that ability that he has you know he's, he he belongs probably at a higher level than we are but he kills a ball manages to you know uh, pass it through to uh, John Lewis who prods it home quite lacks defending probably should be a little bit tighter but obviously showing tiredness due to the uh, fact that the game was in injury time i will say this i was very happy to see the euphoria amongst the celebrating players we've all heard rumours and murmurings about discontent amongst players um, on a training ground in the dressing room etc but see the players celebrating so emphatically with one another um i really you know i was really happy to see that these guys these lads you know clearly do want to win and they do want to do well um so it really wasn't a deserved goal i guess maybe on the balance of the second half perhaps but um i don't know it did it did feel like a bit of a, a, a especially grab comes in the form of a victory but in this instance, it very much was smash and grab and getting a draw. I will add that um, the late pressure by Aldershot um, at the end, uh, I don't think that was covered properly by the highlights. Um, certainly not the ones that York um, shared, sorry, but there was one where I think it was a long diagonal. I can't remember if it was a, just a, uh, you know, a free hit or a free kick where uh, Campbell, who had a decent second half and did very well for himself, kind of gets under the ball. And it goes over him, and a stretching attacker doesn't quite reach it in time. So the yeah, one I think that was on the other shot highlights. Okay, yeah. So that's kind of the one minor, you know, mistake that Campbell made, and we got away with it. But you know, I I can forgive him for that. Um, but yeah, fair play the, to him, I guess, for you know coming in for his first senior appearance and second. keeping a clean. Sh- oh, is it second? Yeah, he came on for Ross, didn't he? I told him uh, early on this this calendar year. He's he's done, a, but that was not even a full forty-five. That was kind of just half the second uh, half the second half. Ah, uh, that was what I meant. You see, I meant his first full forty-five. <laughs> ah, there you go. Well, well, a bit like Mason Campbell, well saved. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so finishes one all, and yeah, we're unbeaten in two. Last minute mm-hmm. equaliser. Um. But just to turn to some of the uh, Twitter replies that we had when we asked for people's thoughts on the game, um, they were generally very negative. Mm -hmm. Um, Just have a look at a few here. So uh, Tom Owen says, we gave the ball away a lot. We're lucky that all the shots finishing was poor. We were better in the second half, but created very few actual chances. A lot of long passes, which either went to the keeper or out of play. Um, Another one here from... Jonathan Stabler or Stabler. Uh, injury time equalizers should not feel like defeats, but that's how it felt. Multiple formations, some players playing two or three different roles during the match. None of these changes stopped us looking like we could stop shots from cutting us open at will. Could have been four or five. Um, and there's there's a few sort of <clears throat> um, voicing opinions that, again, it's time for Morton to go. Um J849, as bad as any performance in National League North. He's out of his depth and trying to survive by throwing players under the bus. We need an experienced manager in ASAP. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of sort of dissenting voices. Uh, this one here, 09 Yorkie. Has anyone not learned anything from the McGill era? Give a manager a chance to get their tactics and formation over to the players and a chance to gel. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about Morton because there has been a lot of a lot of talk, people expressing their views either way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing I wanted to look at is, is it necessarily that Morton is the only issue? Or some people seem to have started questioning some of the new signings mm-hmm. um, and whether they are actually improvements on what we had before. Um, in particular, I mean, Cordner we mentioned, obviously came in for quite a bit of money. There's mm-hmm. been some comments that maybe he's 
carrying a bit too much weight or he's a, he's a big old boy but um i don't think he had a great two-thirds of a game against against Aldershot but I think otherwise he's uh, you know he's recovering from an injury he got against um, I think it was Farsley wasn't it he's getting back into the game he put in some good tackles against Altrincham on Tuesday and he's got good distribution um, I think he looks very good next to to uh, to Howe so um, if you know if, if we're going to look at this this topic I think uh, Corners you know he's one of the few that gets the pass um, to look at another one Castro Again, we discussed him a little bit in the game, but I think, I mean, I've mentioned before that I was sort of quite excited when he came to the club, uh, purely based on on how he played for Notts County against us. Mm -hmm. And then watching him for us, I I can see he's the kind of player who's definitely going to divide a fan base because he's got that very kind of languid playing style where he sort of plays the game at his own pace. (laughs) He tries little flicks and things which look brilliant when they come off. But yeah, when you yeah. when you two nil down in front of eight hundred fans and it doesn't come off, it's uh, it, it doesn't look so good. So he can sort of become a lightning rod for a lot of that criticism. Uh, yeah, he, I, I've I've seen him come in for quite more quite a bit more criticism than I thought he was going to based on the, the performances I've seen so far. Um, I think, and this is like me trying to be polite and diplomatic. He strikes me as quite a luxury player. Um, yeah, if he was more fair. fully fit, I would have him. Like right up as close as possible to um, to Dippo in in the four three three. You know, to have him as that number ten um, to get all technical. You know, I'll be talking about transitions next. But the issue is, um, as good as Dyson became in the match against um, Aldershot, I did think he probably maybe a man of the match. Perhaps as, as the game went on, it's there might be others. But anyway, he he he's not quite that workhorse central midfielder you'd need next to a central sitting you know defensive midfielder. So if you're gonna have um, if you're going to have Castro in the side, he's definitely someone you kind of need to cater towards with the you know the two uh, two players that are behind him. Yeah, I think I'd like to see him when he's gained a bit more fitness, and as well. once we've found a position that works for him. Um, but like you say, it is the luxury it is trying to fit in a player who maybe mm-hmm. isn't going to work as hard as some of the other options in terms of winning the ball back. Um, and can we afford that when our form's not brilliant at the moment? Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm still hopeful that he, he could prove to be, you know, that exciting player who's going to be one of the, you know, best players in the league. But yeah, I would agree. I'm sort of more on the fence about whether that's likely to happen, having having seen his first few games for us. Mm-hmm. So, um, just looking at what else has been happening at the club, uh, we've had a couple of ins and outs. Um, in terms of Ryan Whitley's been recalled. I don't think there's been any confirmation on how long Stockdale is out for. No, I, I've not seen anything either. I think the fact that um, that Whitley's been recalled from a season-long loan um, where he'd been doing reasonably quite well, apart from that uh, that long-range goal, which we're not going to talk about because we want to keep him confident ahead of the weekend ahead. But he had he's had you know two clean sheets out of uh, three starts for for Scarborough. So you know um, he's he's done okay. Um, I thought he did okay towards you know the second half of last season when he when he came into the first team. So I'm not too I'm not overtly worried about you know um, the goalkeeping situation. Yeah, and especially I think, with uh, Campbell. Campbell coming on and doing okay as well means I feel a little bit secure about that. I think he proved that he he can be an okay keeper at this level last season, and hopefully he's 
improving as he, you know, gets more experience. I think the only issue is it might slightly change the way we play in terms of Stockdale's distribution we've mentioned is yes, sort true. of way ahead of what we've been used to um, in terms of his confidence in, you know, finding a pass. Whereas yeah. I would say that's maybe the weaker spot of of Whitley's game. So yeah. we might have to go long a bit more often um, yeah. now that he's back. But yeah, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess more intriguing is the um, is the exit of Dan Pibus. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's not much to go on from the club's press statement, uh, which I think was one <laughs> line just saying Dan Pibus has left the club. I mean, that's if you could find it with a Twitter link not working in the uh, tweet by the club. Yeah. Um, so. so obviously there's been a lot of rumours in the last week or so about did he refuse to play against Altrincham? Mm-hmm. Uh, was there some kind of bust up? Um, and there's clearly been something going on behind the scenes. Again, yeah. th- there's no point speculating too much. We don't know exactly what's happened. Um, but long and short of it is a player who looked pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was rumours of league, you know, interest from league clubs. He signed an extended contract and it's ended up sort of ending in this way with, like I say, what you could generously describe as a sideways move for him. Um, and we've ended up, you know, just not getting any money for him. It's kind of a lose-lose situation really, but at the same time, mm-hmm. probably better for all parties that it clearly wasn't going to work out. Yeah. Um, whether they'd been clash of personalities, clash of ideas, I don't know. But he certainly hadn't been the same player um, that he was the first half of last season. Yeah. Is it a big loss to the club, do you think? It's really hard to gauge because there's some very, very um, passionate supporters who have been quite vitriolic in their responses to you know social media output by both Dorking and York City. Um you know, kind of homing in on his accusation of refusing to play. Um, Matt Ugler in a recent tweet did kind of make reference to, um, you know, players refusing to play. Um, but then there's other people who try to kind of like, you know, tap the the nose and go, it's not the whole story, is it? So maybe something will come out in the wash in the future. But if we have to take things at face value, obviously um, they're rather um, strange yet telling post-match interview after altering them by Martin kind of heavily inferred that Pybus and I think perhaps one more player um, refused to uh, either play or be on the bench or something along those lines. So I think you're quite right to, to kind of describe the situation as it was really untenable for everybody involved. Um, I think I've said before on the pod that um, I liked Pybus. Um, I think that purple patch he had under the under Askey in the league was you know was really decent. I enjoyed um, watching him protect the defense after the injury and after Askey had left. And you know we then we had Webb and then we had um, Morton. He looked a different player. Whether that's due to tactics or whether that's due to you know him not appropriately actioning the instructions he's been given, we'll never know. But um, yeah, uh, quite a few too many people in my opinion are quite happy to see him go, based on maybe not knowing the whole ins and outs and the whole story. I would like to have trying to seen some sort of repairing or mending of bridges but you know that's uh wasn't going to happen and uh and it's led to this to be honest with you yeah i mean if if Dawkins can get the player back who <clears throat> was there at the start of last season for us mm-hmm. um 
you know, in terms of sort of quite a cool head who can sit in front of the defence. And, you know, if they play him in a role that suits him rather than further forward, then, then he, I can see him doing really well for them. But yeah. he didn't seem to be showing any signs of regaining that form for us. No. Um, and so ultimately, I think, you know, he'll just go down as having looked promising at first, but not having made a huge impact, really. Mm. Just uh, before you, as we move on, Simon, um, you mentioned there that um, that Daniel Pybus will enter that long list of York City players who had a, a bright purple patch before, you know, form deserting them and kind of not fulfilling their potential. Um, I can think another another one from the not too distant past. Go on. Aidan Connolly. Ah, well, yeah, I guess that, that leads nicely into this week's retro section then. Let me take you back to Saturday, April the 29th, 2017. The UK is preparing for a snap general election called by Prime Minister Theresa May. Number one in the charts is Symphony by Clean Bandit featuring Zara Larson. Um, and on this day, uh, North Korea fired a missile early in the morning, which quickly failed and did not travel beyond North Korea. However, at Booth and Crescent, there were some missiles that travelled a fair bit further, launched by <laughs> Sam Muggleton uh, in the game we're going to look at, which is York City 2, Forest Green Rovers 2. You right there, uh, Ben? Yeah, sorry. That was very good. Where to start with this one, I guess. For context for anyone who's not aware of the significance of this game, um, this was the last game of the season in 2016-17 season. York City's first season back in the National League. Um, after a brief spell back in the Football League. And we'd been struggling a bit. And Gary Mills, who'd led us led us out in 2012, uh, listened back to episode one of Same Old City, if you want to find out how that happened. Um, he was back at the helm, uh, basically with a rescue mission to try and save us from the drop. Um, and it had all gone down to the last game of the season. This is a game which I didn't actually get to in person. Um, I was working every other weekend at the time, and this fell on a working weekend. Um, did you attend this one, Ben? No, I watched this uh, on BT Sports in my flat in Salford at the time. I was incredibly hungover, and that just added to the emotions that uh, poured out in about 90 minutes' time. Yeah, um, so let's sort of set the scene a little bit more in terms of um, what City needed to do potentially to to stay up in the National mm -hmm. League. So before the game started, we were in 21st, so we were in the relegation zone. Um, point behind Geisley, um, but with a slightly better goal difference. Um, mm -hmm. And also a point behind Torquay, but with a worse goal difference. And three points behind Woking and Chester, um, Although Chester were pretty much out of it due to their decent goal difference. Mm -hmm. um, and Braintree were also in the mix just below us. So it was sort of two from five. Um, but basically, if we got a better result than Geisley, we were safe. Yeah. <clears throat> it's also worth looking at uh, Forest Green needed to match the result of Dagenham at the other end of the table to guarantee a home um, semi-final second leg. Uh, yeah, sort of advantage in their playoffs, so they clearly were not. You know, they weren't going to be on the on the beach uh, for this one. Yeah, I mean, 
they were, like you say, up at the other end of the table. They were sitting in third, so they were already guaranteed a playoff place. Um, but yeah, there was something riding on the game because, like you say, they they wanted to finish top three, um, and they needed basically at least a point out of this game uh, mm. to guarantee that. But yeah, let's go to the game itself. So the full match is available on YouTube, um, which is which is how I've taken in for the first time because obviously the way it panned out. Um, spoilers, we, we went down. There was no real reason for me to, to sit through those highlights <laughs> after the event. Yeah. Um, I listened to, to bits on the radio when I was able to sneak away for a break at work, um, but which was quite an unsatisfactory way to take mm. in a very unsatisfactory game. Um, but yeah, watching it back now, I mean, there was a really good atmosphere before the game, it's worth saying. It, it sort of reminded me of, you know... A lot of the time, Booth and Crescent might have been not the loudest. You know, maybe have a half-empty David Longer stand, but when it was on form, it, it could really generate a decent atmosphere. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And also adding in, you know, before the game, the uh, the minutes uh, pause for uh, Malcolm Huntington from the press, you know, kind of got the the crowd going, didn't it? The applause kind of got them roused, and uh, that noise from when the when the players, you know, part to begin, you know, to the kickoff. That really puts uh, the, the gives you the goosebumps, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck. So, and in terms of the in terms of the lineups, if we start with with City's lineup. So just to run through it, so I believe we started with three at the back, basically. So sort of a three-four-three. Three. So mm-hmm. in goal, you got Scott Loach, a back three of Danny Parslow, Hamza Ben Sharif, and Sean Newton. Sort of uh, wing backs would be Danny Holmes and Sam Muggleton, and I believe his first, and possibly only start for the club. Um, and we'll talk quite a bit about him um, with Simon Heslop and Asa Hall um, in the middle. And then a front front three of John Parkin, Vidane Oliver, and Amari Morgan Smith. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on this lineup? I mean, the obvious thing that stands out is is Muggleton being in there, um, maybe suggesting that Mills is trying something different for this last game. Yeah, you, it, Mills is Mills is absolutely desperate, isn't he? Because of the last chance loon aspect of this fixture, um, he'd settled on after you know after the frantic transfer and loan activity starting you know when Mills came in in the winter this is kind of like the 3-4-3 three, three tactic and formation that he'd settled upon and it had got some you know very decent results unfortunately it was you know some iffy home results that kind of sent us down in the end yeah but it's worth it's worth noticing that in the previous four away games before the end of the season York won three and drew one of them and you know we we did have a, a decent you know counter-attacking tactic you know tactic in, yeah. in our 11 and we had some you know, a decent front three, particularly John Parkin, oh, well, yeah. again, as we'll touch on, was, yeah. um, you know, getting towards the end of his career, but a very decent player at this level still. Um, yeah. But yeah, we were down in 21st, but certainly our form in the second half of the season had not been, you know, that of a struggling team. Um, it just unfortunately, we'd had the, you know, Jackie McNamara still in charge at the start of the season, had a poor start, and it taken Mills quite a while to sort of rebuild the squad. Um, yes. from the fairly dreadful position it was in 
um, and then start stringing some results together. I did actually look at the um, the famous 6-1 defeat against Geisley, um, mm -hmm. which was, it wasn't Jackie's last game in charge, but it was pretty, I think he clung on for a couple more games, didn't he? Um, yeah, Jackie's it, last game was uh, the 1-1 draw um, away at Braintree, which he famously said um, if he did not win, he would resign. So as we didn't win, he resigned and became his own caretaker manager. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he left the club immediately after that. They didn't. Oh no, wait, he was CEO for no, no, quite he was promoted. <laughs> yeah, um, he was promoted actually. So you know, yeah, the cloud. But yeah, the, the Geisley game to me is pretty much when it became clear that his position was untenable. Um, but yeah, looking at the lineup from that game, there's only one player the same. Can I guess who? You can. Is it Heslop? It was Heslop. Heslop's the only player who started that game. But yeah, we had the likes of Ben Clapperson, Ben yeah. Barber, Justin Johnson. I mean, Matty Dixon. You know, they're not exactly uh, names that live long in the memory. Um, I so mean, I have to be honest, I did the same sort of thing as you, Simon. I went back to the first game of the season, the way at Maidstone, and did this exact same comparison. And just for the reference, um, it was the same one player. Heslop is the only person who starts in both. Uh, made in away first game of the season and Forest Green at home last game of the season. So it's rather interesting, even by, um, you know, with Garsley as well, a little bit further on. He is still, you know, he's the, the one constant throughout the season. Yeah, which just shows, like I say, that Mills basically had to build an entire new team halfway through the season. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that second half of the season, he, he we did find some form. Uh, we maybe weren't playing the slick passing football that we had uh, under him previously, but we'd found way to get results um, yep. but yeah not enough to get as clear of safety just on that as well when I was watching this back my other half was sort of uh, half watching it over my shoulder um, and I noted down two comments that she made first one why do they all have such high shirt numbers which, <laughs> yes. was, which was quite perceptive so I explained to her the, uh, the background as to why they were basically the, the second squad we'd had to sign that season um, mm -hmm. second comment why are so many of them overweight um, yeah, I didn't really have a, a good answer for that one, but um, but yeah, I, I think the inclusion of Muggleton made it seem like we were, yeah, it, it was Mills's last throw of the dice, and what uh, a throw! Yeah, he, he he chucked that dice a long way, didn't he? And, and mm. no one no one could even see what number it had landed on, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then briefly looking at the Forest Green team, so they were managed by Mark Cooper at the time. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, on their bench is his son Charlie Cooper. Who, who had played for us? He played for us that same season, earlier that same oh. season. But I don't really have any recollection of what he was like as a player. I believe I saw him away at Bromley when we got beat 3 0. Uh, and that's all I can say about that. Yeah. Um, and the other City link is there's, um, speaking of long throws, there's Mark Ellis, uh, seems to be playing at right back. Yeah, well, there's long throws, Si, and there's long throws. Yeah. I guess the, the thing about Muggleton, at least he's not the tallest player on the pitch. Who's throwing in the, you know, doing the long throws for no one else to, to be able true. to head in? This is um, true. But yeah, that was that was the Forest Green um, lineup. But yeah, going into the game, I mean, it's immediately clear what our main tactic <laughs> is going to be. Oh yeah. So within the first minute, we win a throw in, pretty mm -hmm. much level with the dugouts. Yeah. Um, Muggleton steps up. Um, it's on the yeah. other side of the pitch, but yeah, he trots over. And he launches it 
pretty much all the way to the to the six yard box. I mean, it is it is an incredible thing to watch, isn't it? It hits it hits the bar, does it not? This is the, the no, this is the, the first one. The, this is one oh, before right. those two. It just leads oh, yeah. to sort of a goal mouth scramble, and yep. eventually Muggleton, I think, has a chance himself at the end of it. Well, you don't want that. No, yeah, that wasn't part of that ticket at any point. No, we don't want him having to kick the ball. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just we've got this weapon. We don't necessarily think we're going to be able to outplay Forest Green um, no, on the no, pitch. We so, no, so we're gonna we're gonna use this weapon that we've got because previously he'd been brought on sort of with 10, 15 minutes to go if we were looking yeah. for a winner. Just for a bit of context as well, I believe it was um, Bromley at home. Uh, I think we lose two nil uh, a good, you know a few matches before this after building up a bit of a head of steam. Yeah, uh, and um, you know I think you know the names lost in the sons of time, but basically. We did this, this exact same tactic that we're describing here. We tried to get around Bromley by just throwing the ball and they had two of the biggest centre-halves you've ever seen in your life just absolutely sweep up with ease every single time. So it was a certain naivety that, you know, let's just try this. We don't really have much else. Let's just, you know, have this, you know, with the politest sense of the phrase, this freak of nature, fling it as far as he can into the penalty area. Yeah, I mean, I can remember there was a game we won 5-3 against Southport. Oh, yeah. Where we'd been... I think three one down, and then there was sort mm-hmm. of we got three late goals, and Muggleton came on. He was kind of integral to turning the tide in that one because we just, yeah. you know, we, we were launching it in the box. Do you um, remember the first time you saw it? Um, I don't, but I remember because he, he sort of came with very little fanfare, hadn't had much <laughs> of a career before, or, or I guess since really. Um, and then yeah, are you besmirching Belper Town? <laughs> And he's not sort of the the biggest guy, not physically imposing. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was just you know it, it came out of nowhere really. The thing is though, he can throw a bar stool through a pub window from a smoking area, so you know <laughs> he's pretty intimidating. So there's that one. Uh, Parkin has a volley from the edge of the area in the second minute that gets tipped over the bar. That's a decent chance. Yeah, um, that gets the crowd going as well, doesn't it? Like the crowd are baying for uh, vegan blood at this point. It's uh, <laughs> it's great to hear. Yeah, um, and then I think we get a corner from that. They I click. love the tactic of, I think Stoke had this under Delap. Like we're not gonna, we're happy to give you corners, but under no circumstances can it go out of play for a throw in. Well, we win a throw in from the corner, and yeah. I don't know if we intentionally don't beat the first man so that he'll kick it out for a throw. <laughs> but that's what happens. Um, that's what happens. And Muggleton uh, takes it again this time from the left. Yeah. And this one, it's hard to see exactly what happens. It either hits the bar or the bar and post direct with yeah. no touches uh, from another player. Uh, mm. But yeah, he, he he's launching it, and not just sort of to the near side of the goal. It's it's at the goal. This, I mean, this is just going to be an extended series of us talking about a man <laughs> being able to throw a ball a long way, isn't it? But <laughs> honestly, yeah, but you if you not... when you signed up, so yeah, so he hits the bar from. From a throw in, bit of a freak event until it happens again one minute later. <laughs> and this one, I'll see if I can clip the sound effect of it, but it really, you know, you can hear it pinging against the bar. It's not, yeah, it's not a throw that's sort of been lofted really high and then just dropped down on it. It's, you know, it's been launched. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the crowd going, ooh, as if. It would count had it gone in. I love football. Yeah, I mean, that is the elephant in the room, isn't it? Is you can't actually score from a throw-in. Well, you know, didn't get far ahead of the tactics, did we? Yeah. But um, no, I mean, it, it does... It, 
you know, that that one in particular leads to a chance from the rebound and Oliver, yeah. I think, fires it over. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's one of the, the maddest opening sections of a game that I've ever witnessed, really. Um, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned your partner commenting on the the the, the squad numbers and also the the players' um, appearance or fitness or what, what have you. And I think you know I totally agree with everything there. But I remember I I watched this game back the other day for for the purposes of the show, and what I noticed was two things um, apparent straight away. You know, with this frantic beginning, um, the pitch look comes across as like really tough. With like um, the grass seems quite long, the passing. From both sides to begin with, is quite um, like quite bobbly, as if they're both struggling to try and maintain hold the ball from like not from a tactical point of view, but from like you know context from, in terms of, of of the pitch they're both playing on. Yeah, I don't know. Did did you notice that as well? Um, I think I maybe didn't blame the pitch for our um, lack of passing fluency, but yeah, I definitely did notice it wasn't it wasn't a brilliant surface. I mean, obviously we've got a much better playing surface now, so it's more obvious i think you just sort of got used to it with and crescent it was going to be quite an unpredictable surface yeah. but yeah on six minutes forest green didn't seem to have too many problems with the playing surface because they, yeah. they went one nil up it's basically their first chance but um yeah it's wishart who goes on a run um there's no one closing him down for quite a while and then he gets yeah. past asa hall and danny holmes really easily yeah. he basically runs in between the two of them yeah he does um which is really difficult to watch back because you just think, you know, that this was a club that was trying to play for their survival in, mm-hmm. you know, the lowest division they'd ever been in previously. And it does come across as a lack of commitment, really, that they let him yeah. get past that easily. I mean, I got down in my notes. I think you're totally correct there. And I'm not disagreeing at all, but um, I couldn't, get, I could not believe how nervous these players looked, um, especially before we got that equaliser later on. These players look so so frantic and nervous with the uh, the tension and and what could possibly happen. You know the fear of what could happen. I don't know if you picked up on that as well. Yeah, I'd say it was it was definitely a nervy display, which I guess yeah, that's why we're going for the long throws because it's it's easier to get a chance out of that mm-hmm. um, than to you know create something if you if your players aren't feeling on top form. Um, I, just want, I just want to add quickly as well. Um, I'm sure you're going to come to it, but I believe it's Bugill with cracking finish past Loach. You know, just slicing out outwards, brilliant. Yeah, finish, I thought. yeah. Omar Bugill. So so Wishart gets past Hall and Holmes, and then he plays it into Bugill, who yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really well taken goal. But yeah, pretty much their first chance, and couldn't be much more of a contrast in terms of it's a, it's a nice <laughs> move yeah. on the floor that we didn't really ever look like doing. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, so Forest Green go one nil up. Obviously, uh, not an ideal start, but it's still sort of um, quite end to end after that. It is. Still, um, yeah. there's, there's a lot more long throws inevitably. There's. I want to talk about the Vidane Oliver miss. I thought you might want to. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm still not sure how he misses it really. So it's it's parking yeah. plays it across the face of goal, comes to Oliver in front of an open goal. He's how many yards out would you say he is? Oh, he's in a six-yard box by quite a distance, isn't he? It's yeah, it's an open goal. It's sad because Oliver had been frozen out of the team under Jackie and reintegrated into the side under under Mills, and he'd done really well in that that front three with um, Morgan Smith and Park, and he really did look the part, and he looked like the player we wanted when we were in League Two the season before. So it is cruel on him. He should do miles better. I'm not. I'm not disputing that, but I think it's really cool because 
you see his reaction you see how embarrassed he is by what happens it's it doesn't it does affect him you can tell it does get to him and it, i think it's unlucky but he's off balance and he should do better yeah um yeah i mean I, like you say because he was i think he was out on loan earlier in this season yes. and everyone kind of assumed his time at city had come to an end um mm-hmm. and he hadn't been particularly popular with the fans there was accusations of lack of effort so there wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't really high hopes when he came back but yeah he, he really um you know was one of our standout performers in second Absolutely. half of the season here alongside Parkin and Morgan Smith they made quite a you know imposing front three really but yeah this miss isn't necessarily reflective of um you know how he'd been playing that season he did score quite a few yeah I totally agree speaking of the front three just looking at John Parkin who <clears throat> we'll mention again soon it struck me watching this I don't think I've ever seen anyone move less on a football pitch Mm-hmm. than parking in this game he's literally just standing there um mm-hmm. and yeah it's just i'm just sort of commenting out of curiosity um because you know there's other there's other aspects to his game you know he scored quite a few goals this season uh, after he came back but yeah you sort of the first thing that strikes you is his lack of mobility but then when he gets the ball at his feet what strikes you is how he's a level above anyone else on the field in terms of his, you know, his touch and ability, even at this age. That's reflected when the equaliser goes in just after a half an hour. Um, so it's some decent work from Simon Heslot, to be fair. Um, Rob's their defender. It's great pressure, isn't it? Yeah, it's great um, recovery, get the ball back as quick as possible. The, uh, the Forest Green midfielder does terribly. Yeah, it's a we... lovely pass by Heslop as well. Yeah, straight to Parkin, who, um, yeah, slots it past the keeper, just a nice sort of cool finish. Yeah. And then he's, um, it seems like it means quite a lot to him from the celebration. You know, he's yeah, given it really a full knee slide. Yeah. We've got the photo of him, you know, looking up to the heavens. And yeah, it's one all. Um, I mean, at know. this point, Geisley are losing uh, at yeah. home to, to Solihull, who have scored a free kick. They've also just missed a penalty. So it could have been a little bit better. But um, as it stands, um, for the next 82 seconds, uh, York City are staying up. Yeah, so... Yeah, we've, we've made the effort to get back into the game. And then Forest Green kick off. And before we touch the ball again, they're back in front. 2-1. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Parslow gets turned by, I think, Fabian Robert, one of their players. And he passes it through to Bugle again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's another decent finish. Slots it through Loach's legs. But, yeah, and the crowd noise just instantly disappeared. Because we're still <laughs> chanting after, you know, after scoring yeah. that equaliser. Uh, camera cuts to Mills, who looks absolutely fuming, which which you would be, wouldn't you, to concede a goal yeah. um, that quickly. It does strike you, doesn't it? Especially more, more so the first half than the second, but it does strike you that every time Forest Green starts to pass the ball a little bit and want to move forward with it, they kind of cut through that back three with relative, relative ease. And that sort of takes us through to half time. There's another, there's another few chances um, for either side, but nothing that particularly jumped out for me. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the back three, so that changes at half time. Um, so Mills moves Sean Newton into midfield, uh, which I think he had done previously in the season as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know Sean Newton liked to to bring the ball forward, so I guess he's just given him more license to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he goes four three three. So um, so at half time we're two one down, and we're going down as things stand, even though Geisley are losing. But we just need one goal um, to get back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not long into the second half, we get that goal. So this one does start from a Sam Muggleton throw. Uh, flick on from Oliver, and then Morgan Smith 
um, sort of hits it towards goal and Parkin does a lovely little flick into the corner. I saw it described in one match report as it deflected off Parkin, but it looked intentional to me. Oh, it's just the equaliser? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I would think straight after the second half begins, you've, you've, you you need to talk about um, it's, um, Hall's long-range shot that hits Parkin and Russell has to change directions to make the save. Oh, yeah, the, the volley. That that one is a deflection, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that is off park. That's a full, proper old-school deflection off parking. But Russell in goal for Forest Green does really well yeah, to change sort of, direction. Yeah, tips it around the post. That is, yeah. That, that was a but decent yeah, save. Um, from the resulting corner, that leads to the long throw where Muggleton finally puts the uh, the weapon to good use. Um, and, you know, as you said, Morgan Smith strikes the ball. The, the York Press uh, match report describes it as strikes the ball off Parkin. I think that's a bit cruel to John Parkin. Yeah. He shows quick reaction to, to put the finish past Russell. So I think he he deserves that, you know, to be credited with that goal more so than he is. But yeah, it's two all. So as things stand, we're staying up again. Mm-hmm. And the celebration, it's sort of the same again, isn't it? It's the, uh, it is, yeah. It's the full-on knee slide. And um, you got you got Heslop, you know, celebrating with the players and telling them all to refocus again, showing that captain's role that um, he'd been given under Jackie and also entrusted further under under Mills. Um, there's another chance where Asa Hall has a header. I had forgotten about this one, if I'm really honest. Um, it actually broke my heart seeing it again because um, the build-up play is fantastic. Uh, Morgan Smith wins the ball. Newton plays in Oliver on the on the right uh, the right outside the penalty area and who props in an absolute gorgeous cross. Hall's unmarked, header, either side the goalkeeper, it's 3-2 and he heads it down as if it's going to go through Russell's legs and Russell does really well to kind of like kick it away like a frantic last, you know, last ditch kind of save. He does well, but as a whole should not be giving him that opportunity to do that save and, it, you know. Yeah, and that extra cushion of a goal would have just made all the difference, I think. A couple of minutes after that on the the video I watched, it cuts to a random goal from another game. I believe that's Braintree against uh, Dagenham. Right, okay. Um, yeah, it was just quite surreal. Suddenly like, oh, different mm. um, different kits. But yeah, without the commentary over the top, didn't know, where that, yeah, didn't know what that yeah. one was. Yeah, I, I did the same. I think I had to look it up. I'm fairly certain it's Braintree because they were below us. So. But yeah, after that, it sort of seemed like a pattern where Forest Green were having most of the possession and we were looking to hit them on the break mm-hmm. as we had done generally that season. Are there any particular things that stood out to you sort of in the second half as it as it progressed? No, there's some silly yellow cards in there. Muggleton gets a yellow card and Newton gets one as well. Yeah, there's um, a bit of aggro after the Newton one. It is quite, there a, is, quite yeah, a bad yeah. tackle, actually. I don't, do you think it is, actually? Because I watch it back, the slow-mo replay, he doesn't really get, he doesn't touch the ankle. He dives in, but he's, he's nowhere near the player, you know, player's, uh, ankle or foot, etc. I thought it was late. I thought he, he was yeah, clearly late, not going to get the ball. Um, yeah. How much contact there was, yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to watch it back. But yeah, there's no major chances. Do you think we were playing for the draw at that point? There was a mention on Twitter that we, we might have been. Um, it's an interesting discussion. I mean, I can't remember how I felt precisely at the time watching it live, but um, as it stood, we were staying up. So why, you know, why put things too much in danger by pushing ahead? Forest Green seemed happy with trying to just pass it around in the field, and we tried to get France to get it forward. You could tell um, the front line was starting to tire. You know, there was very little pressure on the goalkeeper to to do long kicks or pass it short, etc. He got to make a decision after a long time of thinking, and that's no slight on the front three. They ran themselves into the ground. But no, there's very little. In terms of you know goal mouth activity after this, it kind of peters, peters out. I think that's due to lack of quality. 
by us, but also the game management by Forest Green. Yeah, I mean, you say there's lack of goal mouth activity, um, but unfortunately not in the Geisley game. Um, no. Because <clears throat> news of the Geisley goal, you can sort of see it or, or hear it filtering through the stands with about five you, minutes left to play. You can see Mills tell Newton as well on, on the coverage. You can see Newton conferring with Mills and you can, you know, you don't even have to be a great lip reader to see uh, uh, Mills set Geisley have scored. Yeah, which suggests we maybe were in a way settling for the draw if we were having to communicate, you know, a change in tactics yeah. that we should push more for a winner. And also the, the, you can see that um, I think three subs are lined up, aren't they, at this point? Uh, two only get on the field. I think Moke's the unlucky one. But that change doesn't happen until about the 88th, 89th minute because the ball simply does not go out of play. Yeah, so the, the substitutions, like you say, it's it's sort of just on the cusp of injury time. We've got Aidan Connolly, um, who you mentioned earlier, and Scott Fennick coming on. Aidan Connolly is a bit of a weird one because he's another one. We talked about luxury players earlier with, in relation to Castro. He's another one where I always hoped he might come good because he, he clearly had quite a bit of talent. Um, oh, he did, yeah. But there just never seemed to quite be room for him in that team. He had that purple patch, didn't he, under Jackie? And then, um, much like the team, it kind of fell apart. Um, I remember after a great win of form, he was linked. I think like Reading in a championship were looking at him and stuff like that. And it was a sort of feel-good news story that makes you think, oh, we've got a player here who can... You know, at that point, in, we weren't even looking at the bottom four in, in the National League. You know what I mean? We were still trying to naively look towards the playoffs so um and that kind of you know fell by the wayside as our form deteriorated and jackie lost his job we've got the uh keeper coming up for a corner klaxon a few minutes we in. have Scott Loach. comes up comes up for two corners and one throw in which <laughs> sure is something yeah and, and forest green nearly sort of mm. have a chance on the counter after one of them but i think the the main chance in injury time is the newton one yeah. Um, which comes from another Muggleton long throw. Newton sort of gets it near the penalty spot, controls it, but then his shot just flies high and wide. Yeah, um, and that really felt like that was the chance. And then um, I believe it's the, the full time whistle. And then are we going to come on to the uh, the topic of the silence? Yeah, I mean, as as Depeche Mode once said, enjoy the silence. And I think, you know, is that just what the fans were doing? Taking Maybe. a moment to contemplate? Um, mm. No, uh, having not watched it back before, it really was quite chilling, just the no, yeah, the silence. Um, you know, you're used to all kinds of different reactions at football, but not really that. Um, mm -hmm. And it just felt like everyone couldn't process what had happened. Maybe yeah. people were in denial that it could happen. You know, we'd struggled in National League before. Obviously, in the first season, we were down under foil as well. That You know, there'd been times when we'd flirted with relegation to regional football, but yeah, I'm not sure anyone ever believed it would actually happen. It might be a good point to just have a look at some of the Twitter comments because mm -hmm. um, we did ask for people's memories of the game. And a lot of people highlighted the silence as being the one thing they remember. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, Elvington read to a terrible day compounded by the silence at the end. Um, David J. Craven, silence. I've experienced all manner of reactions at public events, but that was truly bizarre. Like being in the vacuum of space, no air, no noise, the moment the whistle blew. Even seemed to affect the Forest Green fans. 
one of the eeriest moments of my life. Um, there's, yeah, never heard silence like it at a ground. This is Dan Smith. Also Muggleson's throws. Somebody also mentioned as we, as we walked out that players in National League North don't have their names on shirts and wear 1 to 11 only, which hit me for some reason. That was um, one of the first things that came to my mind, actually, I have to be honest. So I'm glad that came up in the Twitter replies. That was like, we're actually playing in a league where you don't have set squad numbers. That That's abhorrent. That's um, offensive. Yeah, that's what I mean about it's sort of the reality of having to play at that level was yeah. suddenly just something that everyone had to confront. I mean, things could always get worse, as we <laughs> found out. Mm. Um, but yeah, there wasn't that row of anger. It was just, It was just sort of disbelief. Yeah, I don't think it, I want to be harsh and say it was apathy because I don't think it just didn't kick in yet, did it? Until the anti-McGill chance began a good moment or two after the final whistle. How much is Mills to blame for this? Obviously, he's not entirely blameless. He takes over in the first half of the season um, and isn't able to save us. But just to look at some numbers. So in the first 23 games, so the first half of the season, most of which were under Jackie, and then it was Mills' mm-hmm. first few games as he, you know, scrambled around to to get a few players in and veterans and so on. So the first 23 games, we got 17 points. Mm-hmm. The last 23 games of the season, we got 33 points, which would have put us on course for 66 over the season, which would have put us in 10th. So to me, that, that paints a picture of by the time the team had a chance to get going under Mills, it was almost already too late. It was, yeah. Um. It certainly, you know, maybe there were mistakes. I'd say concentrating on the trophy was probably one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, his first game, I believe, is at home, is at home to Chester on the 22nd of uh, October. Do you know, can you, did you note down how many games it took before he won? Uh, it was several, wasn't it? I think the first one maybe came in the FA Cup. Is that right? I, th- I think it's FA Trophy. But 11, it's 11 week, uh, league games without a win. I mean, that's just too long. There's no honeymoon period. There. There's no new manager bounce. It was a, Erratic, scrappy 1-0 win at North Therapy on, I believe it was Boxing Day, um, before we got our first victory under Mills. It's too long. That You know, you mentioned the second half of the season and things had picked up. There were some good away wins in there. Um, maybe had it been a full season, he'd have done a lot better. Yeah, I guess but maybe, yeah. It was too he, late. If he could lay any blame at his door, it would be for not turning things around quicker. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you probably can lay blame at his door for the poor recruitment for the first season in National League North. Um, yes. That didn't that didn't go well. Um, so, so summing up this game, do you think this is our lowest ebb? I mean, we had some poor results, didn't we, in the National League North, but because this kind of sets them all in motion, I think this is possibly the lowest ebb because it confirmed that division, didn't it? As opposed, you know, there's some horror shows down in National League North like the 4-1 at Curzon and stuff like that in the first season but I think you meant what, what, talks, what we talked about at the full time the, the silence and then the, the vitriolic reaction to McGill I think this was kind of like the lowest of the low I think well yeah hopefully that hasn't depressed you too much looking back to that I mean the good yeah. news is um, we did make it back eventually and... made some friends along the way who would you class in our National League North friends? Well, what I mean is we had the entire league reclassified to try and get uh, ourselves promoted during COVID. So if you don't make friends like in that, in that in that way, then how can you make friends? Oh, yeah, I kind of blocked that out from my memory. Um, mm. might, might cover that in a future pod. Who knows? Yeah, that was that was a weird time. 
let's move away from from 2017 um, and look ahead to what's coming up um, over the next week for City. So we got two games coming up this bank holiday weekend. Um, first up, Dorking away. away, and then so that's on the Saturday, and then Rochdale at home, bank holiday Monday. I think you. I mean, there's been some issues with train strikes, um, but I think you're hoping or planning to get to this one. Is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I will um, by hook or by crook. Um, I'll be at uh, Dorking uh, on Saturday. It's going to be a bit of a, a nightmare, you know, nightmare journey in terms of what I normally do. Uh, I'll be avoiding the trains, be getting a lift there, but um, hopefully have a, a travel report for for, for next week. But uh, yeah, I will be at Dorking. Cool, and um, yeah, I guess uh, seeing if there's any early reducers put in on Dan Pibus, if he does start, will be one thing mm-hmm. to look out for there. Um, on that astro, on that astro turf, though, that's you, you're risking some, you know, some carpet burn there, aren't you? Oh, that is true. Um, and then, yeah, Rochdale at home, I'll, I'll be getting to that one. And yeah, two sides who haven't started brilliantly. So, I mean, I'd say hopefully a chance for us to get some points, but, you know, who knows at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I, I'd say if we're not getting anything out of out of those two, then you would think even the ownership are going to be starting to ask whether Morton's the right man for the job. Maybe, but people have been saying that before the Aldershot performance and results. So you know, I'm I'm not going to get too ahead of myself. I think um, I think the, I think uh, Mogler and obviously by extension is his mother support Matt Morton. I want to give him the the most um, most time as possible, the biggest opportunity you know that 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 time can allow. It won't go on forever, but um, changing after the August bank holiday, I, 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 I personally just can't see it happening, no matter what the results. Yeah, um, and speaking of Matt Ugler, um, he he did tweet to well, partly reflect on the stuff that had happened with uh, with Pivas and potentially other players refusing to play, but mm-hmm. also mentioned that there may be more signings incoming. Um, so hopefully, maybe the midfield is going to get some reinforcement because with Woodyard injured, Pivas obviously gone now. That that is just looking really light. It's looking like the weak spot. Well, that mm-hmm. left back. So hopefully we might have one or two more bodies in by the weekend. Uh, I mean, I'd be I'd be playing Crooks left back right now, even if it's not as positive and it's not as you know forward thinking or as attacking as uh, uh, Lati Fairweather or Orlando. Um, he's got the experience, he's got the know how. He'll have co- uh, called the next to him, so two very very good defenders. Um, I, I, I'm very. I, I presume there's no injuries, and I, I don't think there's an injury to uh, to Crooks. Yeah, I don't I, think because he hasn't been in the last couple of squads, has he? I don't think so. Yeah, uh, there's been talk of an injury. If I'm incorrect, then you know I, I definitely apologise. But if if he's fit or you know reasonably fit compared to the other players that we have in the squad, it's not including. I think is very very naive. And what do you think would be a good? return from those two games what would we be looking at to say okay maybe we have turned the corner got to get a win at one of them haven't we got yeah. to we've got to see where the positive results are going to come from and how we're going to attain them and if that means direct football up towards um john lewis and towards dipo as a short-term solution to get the you know turn the turn aside on our form then i'll take it but i do want to see um eventually i do want to see the four three three come to fruition I want to see some, you know, some high work rates and some good fitness levels in midfield and the wide areas. 
But for now, if we have to be a bit of a stodgy, long, you know, direct or long ball, however you want to word it, 5-3-2, 3-5-2, however you want to word it, to get the results over the line at this point in the season, you know, I, I, I will take that. But um, I, that's what I want as opposed to what I expect. So I'm trying to stay positive. Yeah. Well, that just about wraps up this week's episode. Um, mm-hmm. So as ever, um, follow us on social media if you haven't done already. That's at Same Old City Pod on Twitter, on Instagram. You know, tell your friends if you like it. Um, and yeah, yeah, thanks for all the listens, all the support. Uh, shout out to yep. our listener in Cape Verde. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a nice one to pop up. Yeah, I just want uh, to echo the comments about... Um the interactions on on social media people start following instagram a bit we're going to try and get some polls up on there um we're not going to go for something easy like um should morton go because um nobody needs that kind of negativity in their life but we'll try and get some more fun stuff up there try and get some interaction in regards to probably some retro stuff but also in terms of the twitter um your interactions to our to our tweets with your feedback and getting involved in the discussions after games and towards the retro sections etc has been really good to read it's been a wide range of responses from different types of users some with you know very little interaction with other city fans some with like you know some well-known names so we do really appreciate you uh, you all getting involved and um i know uh simon you enjoy reading them but i definitely enjoy reading them too especially after after older shots so uh, thank you so much for that yeah absolutely um and yeah hopefully we didn't dredge up too many painful memories by uh talking about forest green but we'll mm-hmm. we'll try and look at some more positive and optimistic uh, retro topics in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that about uh, wraps up this week. So uh, thanks again for listening. Ben, do you want to do the uh, outro bit? So basically, he gets he's not getting on the bus because he's he's left the club. So because he's called Pie Bus. And it kind of could we do like something pie. with some with pie Dan pie on his face? Y- yes, but, but uh, well, it depends if they beat us on Saturday, doesn't it? Because then the then the, the bus is on our no wait, with a football our, pie all over our face. The pie could be on the in the team bus. There now, might now be now a pie to, on the team bus. Now we're just back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Well, if if we can think of a decent pie bus joke, I will make that the episode title. Thank you. Um, But yeah, watch this space. But otherwise, keep the faith. Mm